Hey, how are things? This is Mark here and welcome to episode 150 of the Clockwork Junkie podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. It's much appreciated. And if you're new, you're more than welcome. My guest on the show today is Nikki Bradley. Nikki, from an early age as a teenager, had suffered from a rare type of bone cancer. And next month, she is traveling over to Birmingham to have part of her leg amputated in a procedure that's called a rotation plasty. So I'm going to Nikki to come on to talk about all that and um, what it entails, what the recovery will look like. Um, but I asked her to come on the show <clears throat> not only to talk about that, to talk about her life prior to that. She is an adventurer. She, like, with crutches, climbs mountains. Um, her, her motivation, her enthusiasm for life is so inspiring. It's unbelievable. You will... No matter what your genre of podcast is, you won't be disappointed that you're watching this one. I, I promise you, she's just a she's an amazing person to listen to. And it was an absolute privilege to have her on the show. I'm not going to say any more or ruin the podcast. I let Nikki come on in a minute and tell you everything. Um, as is podcast 150, I have to name out uh, two Hall of Famers. So as a lot of people know, when I do 50 podcasts, I name two Hall of Famers. So I have four already from the first hundred. This is from podcast 101 to 150, which is today. So I picked out two people to enter into the Hall of Fame. <clears throat> and how do I pick them? I pick them by what I feel the person gives me in the podcast or how much after the podcast I think about them. I think they're really, really cool people. Um, so I have two now. I'm going to name them out. Uh, the first one comes from podcast 135, and it's Sarah Rickard absolute lady she came on the podcast she listens to the show she sent me a message from the show she's a listener i thought wouldn't it be cool for a change to bring somebody on the podcast who listens to them all practically and we could talk about them but instead of that i kind of got to know her and she came on and she talked about uh motherhood and what, what it's like to be a mother and what a privilege that she feels that that is and she spoke about it in such a way that after the podcast, I start thinking about it in a different way. And she opened my eyes to an aspect of motherhood that I suppose as a man, I would never really have seen. Um, and days later, I remember thinking about what she said. And particularly when I was editing the video, I kind of listened back to our conversation with fresh ears. And I thought, you know, isn't it mad? I was bringing her on to talk about the podcast. And here I am, like, listening to her going, my God, I've never heard a person talking so much sense about parenting or motherhood. And go down and have a look at it if you like. It's there to be seen. Um, the next one was only a couple of weeks after that, as it turns out. It wasn't on purpose or just coincidence. It was episode 138 with Natasha Berrigan, um, Tasha, as we call her. Tasha was an alcoholic for years, and now she's five years sober. So that in itself is an achievement and worthy of the Hall of Fame. But when she came on, the way she talks, well, Tasha's kind of like me in a way, and she's very like the people that I like to spend time with because... She's very matter of fact about anything she's talking about. She doesn't, um, no ears or graces or doesn't hold her punches and doesn't pull her punches. And they're the people that I love. She talks about what it was like, like in the depths of despair of being an alcoholic. And you can see the passion in her eyes when, when she's talking about it. Um, and then she talks about how she recovered and what she does now. Um, and it's just for anyone who has any addiction whatsoever or, or and like alcohol included, but any other addiction, go and have a listen to that. Um, my key for this podcast is always to bring on people who I believe know way more than me about any particular topic. And that way I learn as well. 
I learned a lot from that podcast. What we didn't discuss on the podcast, you mentioned it for a second, I seen in editing, was that she said that she bakes now. Um, I've since found her baking page on Facebook, and she is incredible at it. Really, really good. So what I'm going to do in this podcast is I'm going to leave a link to that in the description as well. So if you want to go and check that out, check it out. So this podcast, 135, Sarah Rickard, Hall of Fame number five. And Hall of Fame number six, the sixth person is uh, Tasha Bergen, and she's podcast 138. So you can go and check out those two podcasts if you like. Small, quick bit of admin before I go. Please subscribe to the channel. I have to keep saying this all of the time. Um, you're watching it anyways, and it helps with my algorithms. What it does is people always say that, why do you want you to subscribe? Because the more subscribers I have, the more YouTube will show my podcast to other people. So it's better for me in the long run. And you're watching it anyways, so you may as well subscribe. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who's done that so far. And thank you to anyone who's going to do it. Um, two ways you can support the podcast, if you like. One way is through PayPal. So, And the link for this is in the description of the video as well. You can go to PayPal. You'll see my podcast there. Just click on the link and you can donate anything you would like one time. And that's it done. I get a message saying you've done it. I'll message you back saying thank you very much. And then you know it was me and it's done. Thanks to anyone who has done that. And again, thanks to anyone who is going to do it. The second way is a Patreon service. So I have a Patreon service. It's less than four euros a month. I think it's 370. Um, other ones are 100 euros. Or mine's, the lowest I could go was 3 euros, but there's VAT on it as well. Nothing got to do with me. So I think it's 370 or 380 per month. Um, and that comes out every month. There's posts on there that aren't anywhere else. There's little videos on there that aren't anywhere else um some of the podcasts that are out on a monday i do an early podcast release it could be on thursday or friday sometimes a saturday morning um there's also podcasts on that patreon service that aren't anywhere else you can't listen to them or you can't hear them anywhere else um, and there's more of all that stuff coming as well so if you want to see more you can go to the patreon and join up and see all that stuff or if you're seeing quite enough with the monday podcast which i'm sure some people are that's okay too you can still go and support the podcast um, and if you don't want to do the monthly thing, as I said, PayPal, one-time donation, that's it, done and dusted. So truth of the matter is the podcast can't survive without these donations. It just can't um, because this is what I do full-time. I'm always getting guests and doing stuff. So that has to happen for this to continue. Thank you to anyone who's done it. it I really, really appreciate it. And if you want to do it, now is a good time to do it. Um, brilliant guests, as I said, coming up. Episode 150, I'm not taking a backseat to that. I know. It's a huge accomplishment. Um, I'm really proud of myself. What I do know is from the support and loyalty from all the listeners that like I, I'm not losing the run of myself or I have no uh, delusions of grandeur. If people stop listening, there's no podcast. That's the bottom line. So well done to everyone who listens because it's a reflection of me getting 150. It's a reflection on you for listening all the time and sharing and sending messages. And So thank you to everyone who's done that. Absolutely fantastic. My guest is Nikki Bradley. Brilliant podcast. Couldn't have enjoyed it more. My name is Mark McCormack and welcome to the Clockwork Junkie podcast. Hey Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm looking I'm, forward uh, to our chat. As I was saying to you off earlier, I think you're an extremely impressive person. Uh, we're going to get into so much here today. Um, as you know, guys, this podcast is time stamped. So if you only have 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes, you can flick along and see which part you'd like to talk about and come back and watch it all again then. We'll start off, as I said, 
I usually start the podcast at the beginning and we work our way through and we talk about this, that and the other, but for you, there's only one place to start and that's next month. Um, you're going for, uh, we call it a, a procedure, a rotation plastic. And I just, I suppose in your own words, explain that to us, please. So next month is likely to be the biggest operation I've ever had. Um, a rotation plasty, and I said this to you off air, I'm still learning myself, but a rotation plasty is based, it's a form of amputation. It's when they remove, in my case, they'll be removing from the hip joint down to the knee. They'll be removing that part of my existing body. They'll be bringing the lower leg up, rotating it and attaching the knee joint to my hip so my uh, essentially my knee joint will become my hip joint and then my foot that will remain in place will then act as my knee joint so basically move recycling old joints <laughs> and get getting rid of the hip altogether when i seen uh when i was looking into that um when i read it before i had seen it when i read it i thought like how is that going to work but when when i seen it like you're when to do the amputation you're still connected by nerves yeah. Um, so there's still nerves that connect the, the top of your hip to your foot. And yeah. the reason that to turn it around is because your knee bends this way and your ankle bends that way. So technically, there is no other possible way that they can do it. Exactly. And that's that's happening next month. So you, have you got a date or anything? Or I don't have a date. I've been told early February, but they have yeah. been kept. They have kept me waiting all over Christmas without a date. And I'm going to be honest, I'm getting to the stage now. If they don't give me a date soon, I'm just going to land on their doorstep. Um, it's driving me yeah. bonkers not knowing. It's all, I've always said that the wait is always the hardest part. Yeah. Um, so, But it, it, I've been told it's February. So um, hopefully by this time next month, it'll, it'll be done. It's, um, we'll get into it in a minute, like uh, why you have to get it done and st stuff like that and all the impressive stuff you've done. Like I can't. If anyone, I'm sure loads of people know Nikki already, but if anyone doesn't stick around, this is a, this is Superwoman here. And I'm not just saying <laughs> that, I have videos to prove it, Superwoman here. But, um, so, but, but when you get that done, so there's going to be a time of healing after that before you can go on your adventures again. Um, it, were you given any time scale or? Yeah, so there is going to be a significant amount of time where I will be without prosthetic. Um, I've been told three to six months, but hold to err on the side of caution and just assume that I won't have a prosthetic for six months. So I will have a leg and a half for the majority of the rest of this year. Um, I'll be in hospital for about three weeks, I'd say, um, probably just long enough that I'm able to fly home. So I'm having the surgery over in Birmingham and I live here in Donegal. So they'll keep me until it's safe for me to fly. And then I would imagine most of my recovery will take place here. Um, I have physiotherapists and my, my gym all lined up ready to go for afterwards um, because there will be a significant amount of building back up of whatever muscle I have left to be, for it to then be able to do its job when it's time to get the prosthetics. So there'll be quite a bit of work needed before I get fitted. So, yeah. But even when you do get fitted, it'll probably be like, it'll, like, it'll still take a time to get used to it and the range of motion and kind of, uh, you know, like... It, you know, like in your mind's eye, I suppose, if, if, if I was to ask you, when would be the next time you'd be climbing a mountain? Like, don't you know what I mean? And you probably will be very shortly afterwards, I'm sure. Well, one of the things I do want to try for my own sake, and it'll really help with my upper body strength, is to do a bit of hiking before I get the prosthetic. Um, so it's going to be extremely slow. It's, it, you know, I'll have to be very careful and all of that. Mm. But 
I don't see once once the actual scar heals enough that I'm not, you know, at risk of infection or anything like that. I certainly will be getting out locally. I live in the country and I live in Donegal, which is famously known for all of its hills. Mm. So I literally go outside my front door and there's an uphill just right behind me. So I can start my training as soon as I'm back up on my what feet. The land <laughs> um, of hills, all right. I I I done my three star training in the army in oh. in uh, Lifford. Yeah. And we used to go for runs and just everywhere you turned was a hit every single place there's and they never seemed to come down. You seem to be going up the whole thing, then you arrive to where you started. What's up with that? Fucking hell. You know what? Donegal is one of the best places to train. Some of the stuff I've done in the past, I I could have gone anywhere to do my training, but I chose to stay locally because like that, because not only do you have hills, but you've got because of living near the Atlantic, you've got the the weather that further down the country just doesn't have to deal with. So you've you've got all the elements being thrown at you. So in terms of training, it's it's perfect. You I, I I've seen a clip on Instagram where you were working out uh, on a roar, which I was just using the one leg. Yeah. Is so, that, I, and I, look, I, I could be a mile off here, but is, is that to get that as strong as humanly possible, ready for? No, actually, I can't use the rower if I put both legs in. So at the moment, and the reason, one of the main reasons I'm having this procedure is because I've had two hip replacements um, and I can't bend properly at the hip from a seated position. So say I'm, I'm sitting in a chair now, if I drop something on my right, on my left hand side, I can bend using my third leg and just like pick it up. If I drop it on my right, I can't, I just don't have that range of move, uh, movement. So with the rowing machine in the early days of training, I found it very frustrating because I couldn't get in far enough that you need you to, to pull back as much as you need mm. to. Um, and I just gave up on the rower for a long time thinking that's just something I can't do. And then one of my trainers suggested just taking my leg out and putting my foot like just place my foot on the floor as you saw in the video mm. and instantly I was able to use it properly and like I'm the one that has the disability and I never thought of that myself um it was such a simple change um and it made all the difference so that's the way I always row now so that the my bad leg just isn't kind of strapped in and yeah. I can use it then properly <clears throat> it's um so you're going to get this procedure because it's well, it's the, way, it's, it's the lesser of two evils, I suppose, is 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 the way to say it. So, um, it's 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 bone. It's a Ewing's sarcoma, sarcoma, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I had when I was sixteen. When you were sixteen. Yeah. And like, now again, you know, when you're reading up and you're looking at facts, why you're unlucky to get that? I I I I think they said it was more, more sort of happen in males between five and thirty. They were saying that, yeah. or is it's, that wrong? It's well, it's. So Ewing's, um, most sarcomas are prone to children, um, but Ewing sarcoma is especially um, children and teenagers are the main majority of, like in that, in that age bracket, that's the majority of people who get it. Um, I was 16, so I still fit into that bracket just about. Um, but in terms of males and females, I don't actually know that statistic, but mm. just even from an Irish point of view, in Ireland, the year I was diagnosed, there was only 16 others in the whole country that, that were diagnosed that year. Um, so 17 people dealing with this one cancer. So that's that's not very many in, on the island of Ireland. Um, so when I was diagnosed, my doctor locally didn't actually even really know what it was. He himself had to go off and do research because he had never, I don't think he'd ever come across it before. So for that reason, from day one of my treatment, I went over to England. Um, and for, you know, I had my tumour removed over there. I had my chemo and radio in Dublin. But 
the large surgery happened in the UK and it's kind of, an, it's funny in some ways, like I've had loads of surgery since, but this biggest surgery of, this will definitely be the biggest of my life. This will also be over in the UK. So it's kind of like a, almost like a full circle moment mm-hmm. um, that what they took away back then as in the tumor, they're now with this next surgery, even though they're taking something away, they're giving me back. That's my dog in the background. They're giving me back so much more yeah. by taking away something small and just doing a bit of a rejig of my leg. They're, they're giving me so much more. So I suppose if 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 you're saying like if um, I'm always the silver cloud person, if it's the biggest operation you're ever going to get, technically, it's probably the last one as well. That all depends on whether it works. What it works, so yeah. I had to sign a consent form and um, when I went over for my last appointment uh, before Christmas with my specialist I had that's when I signed a consent form to give them permission to take the whole leg if they have to during surgery so when I go in and the reason that they the only reason they would do that is if there's danger to my life and um, so you mentioned that the nerves are still connected mm. they are but so are the blood vessels but they're twisted around because the leg is being rotated so for them to make sure that everything stays working the way it should it's going to be extremely difficult they'll want to twist i imagine and they'll have to i don't even know how they figure all that out but if something goes wrong i've given him my written permission to take the whole leg and when i say the whole leg i mean everything like it's called a hindquarter amputation um so i will have my waist will end you know not far beneath my ribs on my right hand side so when i go into surgery now in a couple of weeks i'll be going to sleep not knowing what way i'll be waking up um, and that's yeah. part of the reason why I'm saying it's the biggest operation of my life, because in terms of nerves, you know, when I had my hip replacements done, I wasn't nervous at all. I had one of my hips taken out while I was in Australia. I didn't even ask for my friends to come with me the morning of surgery. I genuinely wasn't nervous. It's just I think when you've been in hospital that long, you either continue to hate hospital or you just mm-hmm. accept it and get used to it. And I was in this bracket, so I wasn't scared at all. This is the first time I will be feeling those nerves going in and um, because just simply due to the the fear of the unknown i won't know what way i'll be coming out it's like um yeah jesus i i, I i'd be the first um it's like it's like um like i didn't know there was a chance of it going wrong until you just said it there i i thought it was a this is what we're doing i, I think you put up a post and you might have said it to me off air as well that uh you wouldn't like to be your surgeon like you wouldn't like to have that person's job but like if if uh I didn't know that it could go wrong. I, I just thought it was a procedure and a tough one and a big one. And there's loads of rehabilitation afterwards and you have to be tough and strong, both physically, but more so mentally, I think, to get through all that. And that was it. I didn't realize that could go wrong. There's quite a large chance that it, it could go wrong. Um, so, and it was me that, so when I went over to Birmingham last year to talk through options, I was given three different options. One of them was to, um, basically take out the hip and kind of just replace it for a third time um another one was to just remove the entire leg which is what i mentioned the hind quarter amputation and then there was the rotation plasty option and so initially well the 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 third the hip replacement option was using 3d printing so as soon as i heard that i was like oh that sounds cool i've never had that before and it's still quite new so i tend to like the stuff that hasn't been done much before because it's kind of nice knowing that's you're you know you're involved in something different whatever so when when I came home from that appointment myself and my partner basically said that's the option I'll go with because it just seemed the best but the more we thought about it and the more we looked into it 
the more we realize that that is actually in terms of infection, that is the most likely to get infected because they will be, even though it's 3D printing, there'll still be metal put in against my bone and anything metal put into your body is a foreign object and bacteria loves it, blah, blah, blah. So I then started kind of making myself look at the rotation plasty more and weighing up the pros and cons. Um, and I actually, I was surprised myself that I, I eventually opted for yeah. that choice. Um, it's not something at all that I, I wanted back then. But thankfully, you know, time is a great healer, as they say. And I'm yeah. totally used to it now and I'm ready for it. So but it, it said, on the, the operations I've seen on YouTube and the videos and stuff like that, like it's, I always watch till the end and watch the people afterwards, like, you know, I've seen people like sprinting and climbing and as if like, like it was just the same as anybody else, like there was no difference whatsoever. And I said, isn't it absolutely amazing the technology that I have now that they can do? Um, there, there was just something there. So did they say to you that if it went wrong, what's the option then? Or did you even dare to ask? Well, that is where they would have to take the whole leg there and then. So if they if they do have to do that they'll be doing it during the surgery if it goes wrong immediately now there's still a chance that things could go wrong after the operation i could come home and please god this doesn't happen but i could come home and just not heal um, and not be any better off and in in fact i could end up being in a lot more pain if something isn't right um so i i'll either i'll either find out that it's gone wrong there and then or i could find out it's gone wrong down the line or and this is the this is the option that I'm believing the most in. Or it'll just go right, yeah. and I'll come out the other side and be in a much better place and have one of the main things that I want back is equal leg length, which sounds like a contradiction after everything I've just said. But when I say equal leg length, I mean when I'm wearing the prosthetic, both of my legs, both of my feet will touch the ground, um, the prosthetic foot and my real foot. Um, at the moment, I have 10 centimeters of a leg length discrepancy. So when I stand up, I tend, I'm like a flamingo. I just tend to stand on one leg and I just, my toes just touch the ground on the other. So in terms of balance, I'm always losing my balance. If I don't have my crutch, I always have to hold on to something because, you know, if you turn at all or bang into yeah, something, of course. Um, you're always, you know, you're you're on the verge of, of falling over. And I hate that. It, it annoys me so much. So to be able to have use of a prosthetic that I can, that isn't just, they're not doing anything that will actually increase my you know improve my quality of life yeah. um is is one of the main reasons i'm getting it done and um, i've been told that the chances of me getting off the crutches are quite slim to be honest i'm not even i'm not expecting it that's not one of the things that i was hoping for i've been on crutches for so long that it, they're part of me now yeah. they're lovely and pink they they go with my outfits i don't care anymore they're just <laughs> who I am now. priorities yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> they go, you know, they're, they're just part of me. So that's not one of the things that are on my list that I hope I get off the crutches. If I do, I consider it a huge bonus. But if I don't, I can visualize myself climbing whatever I decide to climb much more evenly because I'll have two feet evenly on the ground with, I keep saying feet, obviously, you know, I mean, yeah. the prosthetic on one side. Yeah. Um, and I'll continue to strengthen the rest of my body before I start getting back into adventuring. So when I do get to that stage, I should be able to technically, if everything goes right, I should mm -hmm. be able to do it better than I can now. It's like uh, for the first time since you were a teenager, you'll have the best range of motion you ever had, if it goes I well. Versus what I have now in terms of my leg. So I mentioned earlier about not being able to bend while mm -hmm. in a seat position. So I will be able to do that again, which is going to be, honestly, I think the first time it happens, I'll probably be in floods of tears. It'll be like one of those videos you see on like Oprah or something where they're just like, 
going mad with tears. But the, the downside is I my range of motion will be up and down the out to the side, which I have struggled. I, I have issues with anyway. That will still that that won't be fixed. Um, so I won't be coming out of this operation able to like do cartwheels or, you know, do there's be quite a few things I still won't be able to do, but I'm totally OK with that because I've led so much of my life now with huge limitations that I'm I'm used to that. But mm. the one of the big ones is not being able to bend forward or like when you're sitting in a car, feeling the pain right in your hip joint and not because you're seated, not been able to get out of that pain. Um, that's something that that doesn't get any easier. And especially now, since my health deteriorated since the pandemic, um, I noticed that my hip, the pain in my hip just skyrocketed. Um, so I've been dealing with increased pain for two years now. So to hopefully get rid of that, if it all works, will be just amazing. Yeah. But it's like, um, like you're going for this big procedure, as, as you said, it's the, the biggest one you'll ever have. You're, you're, you're hoping it look, touch wood, it goes right. But I mean, like to, to go and do all that, like you must have been in, fucking agony for years prior to that for 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 that to be the option what was going on before that must have been worse like it was um but i've been in worse pain so in 2006 it was easily the worst pain i've ever been in i spent two months in king Vincent's hospital not able to pretty much move at all i was in so much pain that was before my first hip replacement and the reason for that pain was because the hip was starting to disintegrate due to radiotherapy um and i also Jesus. had chronic nerve damage which i still have um so the, i think the two were like combining causing yeah. this explosion of pain so as much as the pain in recent years has been bad and certainly worse than it has before that i will never forget 2006 mm-hmm. like in terms of pain that's my benchmark so anytime i am having a bad day i do allow myself to acknowledge it and all of that but i always think back to 2006 like i didn't sneeze for eight months that's i, I talk about this in when i deliver talks and it's such a random thing to remember what the thought of sneezing and that involuntary jerking motion would have just the thought of that alone would break me out in a sweat that i would just be terrified of that because that would have sent waves of pain shooting up and down the nerves um, so my body just stopped needing to sneeze eventually. Um, I can't remember when I first sneezed after that, but it was such a random thing to remember. But it was like back then life was the toughest I think it has it has been so far. Um, so it's made making these life changing decisions a little bit easier because I always think if I got through that, yeah, you know, I, I can get through this. And it's it sounds a bit cliched, but you kind of have to have done something like that or experienced something like that to know what I mean. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's, no, that, that, that makes like, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me to a much lesser degree as everyone knows on the podcast. Like I had depression and when, when something goes wrong in my life, people always say, are you all right? And I'd say, yeah, had depression for 10 years. That's the worst thing that can ever happen to me. And this is like, this is not ideal. It's an inconvenience. If I never had depression, I'd probably be down on the ground. I saying, why me? But I've been through shit. This is Mickey Mouse stuff, you know, and that's to a much lesser degree than you like. So I can imagine I probably can't even imagine how mentally tough you are, but I, I want to go on to adventure and all that, but just, so up to the age of about 16, you were fine. Like you didn't realize anything was wrong. And no, I, so I, they don't know if the cancer grew or if it lay dormant from birth and just decided to show oh, itself okay. when I was 16, they just don't know. Um, it's probably likely that it did grow because it, when it did show itself, it was growing, you know, somewhat rapidly. Um, 
I was born with dislocated hips, which is a coincidence, but actually had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I ended up with cancer in my hip later on. But other, yeah, up until age 16, I was just completely normal. Um, Students, you know, doing, I was in fifth year, I think, um, just living a completely normal life. And it started with noticing a lump on my pelvis on the right-hand side. And it went from me ignoring it for a little while to it becoming very real very quickly and having to face then the usual chemotherapy, radiotherapy and surgery and just, yeah, life as I knew it changed overnight. So you kind of went through all of that and then now you're in this position and next month you're going for the operation. And look, I'm not a big religious person, but like I hope to God that everything goes well for you. And, and it, it's, um, I, I really, really hope it goes well. I hope you come back. I hope you heal over time. I hope that you get your prosthetic. I hope that your legs are the same length and I hope that you're galloping up the mountains over the summer or whatever way <laughs> you want to do. But that brings me on to this part here. So this is where I think you're very impressive. So, so you would know you were not, you had no kind of, uh, as you thought, no cancer until you were 16. So 16 until the age of now, you've probably been through hell. You'd be forgiven by every person who was ever born of just being that person and staying like that. And that in itself is is enough for anybody. No, Nikki won't do that. So what you decided to do was climb, was the four highest points in mountains in Ireland. Um, just before I get to that, can I just, the motivation factory. Yeah. Fighting fit for you and or for doings. Can you just talk about how all that started? How did you, how did that start? Well, Fighting Fit for Ewing started in 2013. Um, it's a, for those that don't know, it's a campaign, um, an awareness campaign based around um, physical challenges, which is where all the adventuring comes in. Um, and it's also that I, I wanted to kind of highlight the importance of exercise for rehabilitation by using myself as the guinea pig. So from day one, <laughs> I, I yeah. it was kind of, <laughs> well, I always felt that, you know, there's sometimes you go to, say you go to an event and somebody's up on the stage and they're talking about something and, they're kind of preaching to the audience and you get the impression that they haven't actually done what they're talking about themselves. And once you see that, you see through it. So I said from day one that I'm not going to do, I'm not going to encourage people to do anything that I haven't already done myself. So we just started very simply with, um, as an experiment really. So back in 2013, I had had to leave my job because pain was just too, too tough to actually get through. Um, I was at a stage where I was in my twenties Yes, as you said, you know, I'd been through a lot, but it definitely didn't feel like enough. You know, I had to start thinking of my future. I had to start thinking of kind of just being an adult and, and a grown up. Um, but I felt that the pain that I was in was stopping me from doing everything. And I was on a lot of pain medication, which was like really strong medication that's damaging to your vital organs. And I just didn't want that life for myself. So I met with a personal trainer and a physiotherapist and I just I explained to them what I the stage I was at at that moment and what I wanted to achieve. Basically, I just wanted to be able to get a bit stronger and um, to focus on the other parts of my body that had, haven't had and to this day still don't have anything wrong with them. And rather than focusing always on my bad leg and what it can't do, why not flip it around and focus on the rest of me that is perfectly fine and see, just see what we could do. So I started training um, three times a week. And in the beginning, I literally would train for an hour and have to go home and lie down for the rest of the day. I was so sore. Yeah. Um, I literally, like, it, when I look back now, I just think, God, I was such a baby that I couldn't just get through it. But, like, obviously, I'd gone from no training to, 100%. you know, lifting weights and doing the diff- different things. So I had normal muscle pain along with then the pain that was in my leg. 
But over time, I noticed that I don't know if the pain lessened or if my tolerance grew. So it's probably a bit of both. But yeah. eventually I ended up on no pain medication. Like I was able to go off at all. That's not to say I wasn't in pain, but I think it had lessened. And um, obviously I'd strengthened the rest of my body. So my body was able to take more slack to, to take a bit of pressure off the bad leg. So we'd been doing that for a few months and then we're like, right, walk. And I was I was documenting everything on my social media and, you know, keeping everybody up to date with the good, the bad and the ugly. And we got to a point where it was approaching winter and, you know, everybody kind of feels the same about winter training. You lose a little bit of motivation. The evenings get shorter. You know, you're getting close to Christmas. It's a lot nicer to just sit on the couch and watch telly than to go out and make yourself do something. So I did. I wanted to kind of get ahead of that feeling. So we decided to set a challenge that I would be able to work on in the gym. So like we would have a focus rather than just going to the gym three days a week without, you know, having anything at the end of it. So our first challenge was to climb Muckish Mountain here in Donegal. And we did it. And we did definitely had some setbacks, but it we did it. And it was incredible. It was my first time as an adult, regardless of any type of illness. I don't know if I probably, like I wasn't that into mountain climbing before I got sick. So there was a lot of learning on the day but I loved it the feeling I felt at the top and especially at the bottom when I was able to get back into the car yeah. was amazing and well, like everything I, that was all done with crutches like yeah yeah and it was done with hospital standard crutches so one of the biggest things that I remember Jesus. was the bottom you know the rubber bit at the mm -hmm. bottom of crutches that kept coming off and getting stuck in the mud so like we'd walk for maybe five minutes and it would get stuck and I mean like quicksand stuck you had to put your whole hand in and just pull and try and get it out and like we'd put it back on bearing in mind it was absolutely lash and rain the entire time of course so we were there trying to put this thing back on then we get a bit further and it would happen again and i was like jesus christ if this happens one more time i'm gonna lose my mind um <laughs> but we, you know yes we had setbacks yes it was miserable at times but how i felt that evening is what brought me back time and again yeah. you know how i felt going for a shower and getting up, rid of all the muck and the wet and the, the rain and all of that and how great i felt how my dinner that night tasted so much better. I felt like I'd earned everything. And these are yeah. just things we take for granted every day, having a shower, having a nice meal, maybe having a glass of wine. I don't know. But like the simple things that we take for granted that evening, they were the best tasting things that I'd ever had. And the shower yeah. was the best shower I'd ever had. And it was that, that, that sense of accomplishment that I just became just so curious about, like, what could, how far can we push it? You know, is there a breaking point? What can the human body actually do? With the right mindset um and it was kind of it just took off from there yeah it's like um <clears throat> I, I probably didn't mention at the start but i'm going to leave all nikki's links in the description so it'll be the website and instagram the youtube channel and stuff like that um i'd say go and check it all out but just please go and check out on youtube I, I, it's not even a youtube channel is it? it's just clips up you up on youtube i think there is well ian miller mm. who's my my climbing mentor he has some really good footage okay. um, well, i so leave I, links to them like yeah. you actually see you uh on the crutches flying up mountains like a gazelle like you know what i mean but like you know i wouldn't go that far but thanks like like you've just taught me that there now so you've taught me what you're going to get done you've taught me what happened you've taught me why it happened you've also said that uh you wanted to see how far you could take the body and all that but you must know how incredible that is like people just don't do that like you know, they just don't do it. It's too fucking hard. That's it. But not only are you doing it, you've done more. I know you're trying to drag other people into your misery as well. I want to say it's not misery, but you're, you're, you're oh, trying to get other people involved as well. Um, so 
Like, I, I just, I, I still can't, where are you getting all that from? Why are you like that? Like, what's your motivation? Well, I think with the event thing, I genuinely think it was natural progression. So because we, because the first challenge was so big, um, the first challenge, because we climbed a mountain on day one, I was kind of, I was adamant that I didn't want to go from that to then like, right, let's walk around the park for 10 minutes. You know, I wanted okay. to keep growing up. Um, so I, I was writing a, a, an article, a weekly column for the local paper at the time. So as you say, I brought people into the misery. So I, um, I encourage. I didn't mean that. I was, I was <laughs> no, I, oh, believe me, I, it was miserable a lot of the time. But um, I encourage people to actually challenge me. So we had like a hashtag challenge Nikki, because one of the hardest parts was trying to think up of different challenges. Um, so like some of the things we did wasn't like I, I tried rally driving and um, like that has nothing to do with being on crutches because you're obviously sitting down. But actually, one of the hardest parts of that challenge was getting in and out of the car. Um, you know, the way they have the, the roll cage or whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah, yeah. To try and get into yeah. that was really difficult. Um, and I, I didn't, because I, I knew nothing about rallying, I didn't think of that. Um, so, and like the way I drive to this day, I'm not saying I speed everywhere I go, but the way I approach corners and stuff like that, like I actually got really good tips. So even though that wasn't directly relevant to the physical challenges that I do, I actually learned loads from that. And then more of the physical ones, like one of the more random suggestions that came up was um abseiling off fanad lighthouse in, yeah. in Donegal. so that i you know for me to abseil with different mm -hmm. length legs was terrifying to have the view looking out over the the water and seeing the waves crashing like every bit of me wanted to just climb back over the railing and run for the hills yeah. um but we did it and it was incredible and you know it it was all of those types of things that made me want to see what's next. It was my own curiosity and the excitement that comes along with it. So it's not as if I was sitting going, right, I better do this because this, that and the other. I actually wanted to. Um, and also the more challenges that I did, especially when I started doing challenges outside of Ireland, the more like minded people I met. And I mentioned Ian Miller there like to this day, he's one of the most motivating people I've ever met. Um, he's a, a, a free solo climber. He has done some of the most incredible sea stacks um, in Ireland by himself without ropes. He's, I, I feel the need to point out, he is a trained expert. Do not yeah. try this at home. Um, he does just incredible things. So when I am in the company of someone like him, um, and you mentioned the army as well, like one of the other people that I train with is also a sergeant in the army. So any of the training we did for some of the bigger challenges he put us through our paces and that's when I say it was miserable. It was lashing rain. We were in bogland, and I was just thinking, I wish I was at home, but that feeling at the end, as I keep saying, that's what brought me back. So it's, you know, and I'll be, I'll be the first to hold up my hand and say with the surgery that's coming up, I've let my regular training slip because I need to allow myself this time to just prepare mentally. Um, and if I am having days where I'm quite sore, in the past, I would have just pushed through, whereas now I'm thinking, you know what, there's a bigger picture happening at the moment. Um, and I found that quite difficult. It's it's so much easier with hindsight to look back on things and figure out why you did this that, and the other. But at the moment, because I'm living it, it's difficult to stay on track with everything. So I'm listening to my body at the moment. And if it needs a break, I'm, I'm being much more kind to myself. Yeah. But there is that fine line between being kind and being lazy. Yeah, so I have to make sure that I don't fall between the two. But you are um, still training, really. You're just training your 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 mind and your brain to get ready for the procedure that's coming up. So yeah, and one of the physical training things that I've started doing is 
doing the, so I have a, a local loop here that I do um, that takes in loads of different hills. So it is good for, for training in general, but I've started doing that loop only using my good leg and lifting my other leg up um, because that's something that like it or not, I'm going to have to get used to. And the difference is unbelievable. Like I did, I never realized how much I relied on my bad leg when I do, so I can walk quite, quite fast. And like, I have a the way I walk is it's a bit of a hop in between. So it allows me to go quite fast. It's kind of like jogging with crutches. Um, and I didn't realize how much I was using my bad leg until I, I lifted it up. Sure. And instantly the first step you take after lifting the leg up, you, you feel it in your shoulders instantly. You feel it across your back. I thought I would just feel it in my leg, but obviously I'm using the crutches. So like to go from here to the end of my driveway, just using one leg is more of a workout than maybe a kilometer doing it with, with both. So the training, even if they're very short little stints, that type of training is really valuable at the moment. And I found myself, because it's so easy to do, I literally just have to lift my bad leg up. It's not fun. It's painful. I like it, It's just, it's not enjoyable, which is why I don't normally do it. But I can do that anywhere. You know, I was in Dublin with my family there a couple of weeks ago. When I was walking around Grafton Street, every now and again, I just lifted it up. When we were in Brown Thomas buying things we couldn't afford, I just lifted it up. And I was sweating by the end of it because obviously I was in a big winter coat. Um, but it's great. And it's great training that I can do anywhere. Um, so that's the type of stuff I've been focusing on. But as I said, yeah. I've been doing a lot of just sitting on my ass as well and drinking yeah. wine. Yeah. Well, you're only human. That's, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's like, even Nikki's only human. But uh, <laughs> I think that's very impressive. I I, I just see on um, on uh, Instagram, um, there was, uh, I think there's no more barriers in the car center. Are you an ambassador for those guys? Yeah. Yeah. So I, so we launched the the official ambassadorship with Cara um, Sport Inclusion um before christmas so i actually used to work for triathlon ireland i only left there recently because of the operation and um, but we would have worked with them regularly on different programs so i've been aware of them for a long time and i'm, I'm i just love that the, the work they do they basically allow people like myself with a disability to engage in sport and i've seen firsthand what it can do if you really do just give it your all um, so when the opportunity came up to be an ambassador for them it was it was a no-brainer it was just like yes let me do whatever i can um, and then the No Barriers Foundation is a local charity um, that's run by my physiotherapist. He he now is Superman. He is so incredible what he does with his brain. He's so intelligent and he's using his time so well. But he has one of the only exoskeletons in Ireland. So you're probably familiar with Mark Pollock. Yes. And um, Mark became paralyzed a number of years ago. And, and Mark has an exoskeleton. So yeah. basically he looks like Robocop in the most flattering way possible I mean yeah. that as a huge compliment he looks so impressive and it allows somebody that's that's wheelchair bound to stand up and not only stand up but to actually walk and feel what it's like to walk again to me say no more like Jesus if I if I needed one of them and to have it especially in Donegal which I hate to say it but it's known as the forgotten county for a reason we don't often get stuff like this so for the likes of johnny who's the the founder of the no barriers foundation to work so hard to bring these services to, to my county when when the opportunity for ambassadorship came up there i was again saying absolutely it's just kind of to, to remove barriers for people with disabilities so they can still exercise oh yeah yeah and it's fantastic done. It's done in a gym and I'll actually for the first time so I would have availed availed of their services more from the physio point of view but after surgery I will be I will be availing of the the No Barriers Foundation's services from 
an amputee point of view. So the training that they do, they're all physiotherapists. They're, you know, they're all fully trained physiotherapists that deal with each client. Um, so even though I've been ambassador now for a couple of years, I'll be seeing it from the other side sure. um, and yeah. seeing the amazing work they're doing from my own perspective as well. So I, I'm so excited for but that. That knits with something you said earlier on, whereby you've often seen people doing a keynote speech or doing some kind of a lecture and you think they never done that you know like I, I used to always have that in my mind when I went with my depression to a doctor or to a psychiatrist and they were talking to me about it and within like and I'm not being funny within three minutes I'd say he doesn't know what he's talking about he never had it he's saying the wrong words that's not right so whereas you're an ambassador and you're involved in the things as well and people can just look at you and go well look what she's doing she's like there is no one better in the world to be involved with that you know <laughs> But it's also proof that you can't do everything by yourself. Like you need, 100%. you need to have not just people that, you know, are wishing you well, which is obviously amazing, but for professionals, people that have gone to college and university and have the knowledge that I'll never have because I don't have their degree. Um, Like I need to be able to fully hand myself over to them, knowing that they're the right person. And for someone sure. like um, the No Barriers Foundation and the people that work there, I know them now. I know them, their personalities. And that makes such a difference. Um, I know that even though they can walk, they understand exactly what their patients and their clients are feeling because they've made that connection and they've taken that time. So, yeah, 100 percent. Here, here. I, I, I won't keep you too much longer, but I just uh, I enjoyed your TED talk. It was a number um, of years ago now. I hate watching it. I hate hearing my own voice. I have yeah. such a deep voice for a woman. Like, well. I, I I sniggered at one point when uh, even though you were talking about very serious stuff, but like do you know like there's certain type of people that talk and like I like to cut at their jib and you're one of them like because uh, just I I'll actually leave a link to that in the description as well and if 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 you're listening on Spotify that all the links will be still be in there as well it's not just on YouTube it's everywhere but at one stage you mentioned that you had a fall and it wasn't related to your injury. But then you, you, you said then, well, I might have had a sherry or two before that. Like, people don't say that on a TED Talk. You know that, don't you? I said, oh, yeah, she's from Ireland. <laughs> sherry, I meant probably like whiskey or God yeah. what I've been drinking that night. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I know yeah. that's, that's very good. It's like, it's like um, you know, like it's, and I say this one or to one or two guests, like it's, it's I, I'm not saying you don't take yourself too seriously, but it's, it's as if you don't. Sometimes wonder, like I feel like I'm two people when I'm delivering a talk. I that's why I don't like hearing myself back because especially with that TED talk, because the way TED does things, you you have to do, you know, it has to be 15 minutes, it has mm -hmm. to be this, that, and the other. So I sounded so monotone the whole way through. But when I'm here in the house, like my partner is constantly saying, you whistle a lot for a woman. <laughs> it's one of the first things he said when we got together. I spent my life whistling, singing, yeah. clapping. I'm like a second god most of the time. Mm. And that's who I am as a person. Um, that side of things. But I, I think if you showed that side all of the time, then when you are talking about serious stuff, like I think you need to give it the respect it deserves as well. So yeah. um, it's, again, always finding the balance. I've, I've, I've never heard that expression that uh, you whistle a lot for a woman and also you said it earlier I've never heard someone saying to themselves I'm like a flamingo so that's two <laughs> things I've never heard before in my life so look just really quickly so on the website you do uh, motivational speaking after dinners uh, keynote and stuff like that yeah. there, there's two things so there's motivational mentoring and then it's a uh, Nikki bite size yeah. so is, is that you mentoring other people who want to yeah. get motivation so I was doing that for a while. And then unfortunately, just literally due to lack of time, I kind of paused that for now. But yeah, it's and it's it's on anything. So this is open to 
anybody that wants to set a goal, whether it's personal or professional, um, and it doesn't matter who you are, you could be the CEO of a company or you could be day one on your first day of college and you want to set yourself a goal that you actually achieve. Um, that's where the mentoring comes in. So it's basically all I am is the person that you're accountable to. So if you say you're going to do this, that and the other, and if we break it down and by week three or whatever, you still haven't made any steps forward, then you're going to get a kick up the ass from me. And that's what yeah. works. And it works for me. I've had I've been mentored by numerous people down through the years. And it's one of the things I'm so passionate about is finding someone that has walked the road you want to walk and ask them to help because they will know what to expect. Like they, they will be able to tell you what to expect. Um, and that's why like we, we mentioned off air that when I Googled the rotation plasty images, I was horrified by what I found because I couldn't, first of all, I couldn't relate to any of the pictures. Some of them were children, some of them were middle-aged men and I just couldn't find where I fit into any of those pictures. And then I found an amazing athlete and dancer in New Zealand, she's 29, she's got a couple of years younger than me <laughs> but um she's somewhat close to my age um and she is just killing it and she has been through the exact procedure that I have so as soon as I found her I reached out to her um and I'm hopeful that she'll get back to me um but that's the kind of thing like I'm not saying that I won't be mentored by her but just seeing her content and hopefully getting to speak to her will make a huge difference to me yeah. and with my own mentoring it's something similar it's just having help from from someone to let to help you achieve your goals basically but that's so important like there's a way but and anything anything you do I, I i see something and i go right that's better than the way i'm doing it so i don't go oh no and shrivel up and say well how's that person doing it that's what i want to know you know yeah, exactly. plus you'd be a disaster as a mental coach and i mean that in a good way because you'd be thinking like uh, kind of uh, i don't really want to do that and then you come across one of your videos and say oh, i have to do it now look what she's doing like <laughs> she's going up a fucking mountain in crutches and i won't do this thing so i can't face her unless i do it so <laughs> there's probably an awful lot of that involved in it as well i'd say I'd actually love to touch on that for a second because I get a lot of people saying that that they they say, oh, I can never complain again when you're around or something like that. And what I would say to that is that your pain and your struggles are yours and they're justified because they affect you. Just because I have done this, that and the other means nothing to what you're going through. And I think that's really important because like I always look to people that like that girl in New Zealand and like some of the things that she's done I that doesn't mean that what I'm feeling is any less justified um, and it's so important that we actually do acknowledge that what we even if it's small like it's even if it's quite small and it's nothing compared to the surgery I'm going to face it's still a thing for you if you've acknowledged it and if you're taking time to feel that stress over it then it's clearly important yeah. um, but at the same time obviously there's again that balance like if you're yeah. moaning about <laughs> yeah. nothing then yeah you're I'm not going to have sympathy yeah. for you but like <laughs> The last thing you want is for someone to have an issue or a problem and say, well, I'm not telling Nikki because she went through a thousand times worse than me. No, you're wrong. She's the furry person you tell because she understands she'll be empathetic. That's 100%. Yeah. No doubt about I have people contacting me saying, oh, about mental health or this. Now, to say, to always preface it was saying, I know you had it for 10 years and yours was so much worse. I hate when I get that. I said, how, how do you know? Maybe I was just really weak and I couldn't handle it. Maybe yours is a thousand times worse. It doesn't matter whose is worse. Just talk. It doesn't matter. But um, it doesn't matter how long you've known it for or anything uh, like that. It's um, and that is exactly it. You don't want people to be afraid to share the problems because they feel they don't. They're not big enough because they're big enough to you and they're, 100%. they're big enough. Full stop. So yeah.
We're going to finish up on this. I have two last questions. That's it. I probably kept you a bit longer than you had time to spare. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. um, second last question is, I, I've heard people in the past when you've been talking or interviews, they've asked you, and did you ever have down days? I'm not going to insult your intelligence with that. Of course you did. You're fucking human. What I'd ask is a different question is how, like I know when, when, when I had, when I have bad days and particularly when I was really, really bad with depression, that it, it, it was easier for me to just take it, take it for the two days that I'm really, really down. Know that it won't be like that, like forever, but you know, I, I'll get a bit of a, an oomph for myself in a couple of days time. So it was easier for me to just take it and realize that, okay, it's going to get better soon. And patience is a virtue and I did get better and off I went. Um, what way do you deal with bad days? Do you like, do you get frustrated? Do you get angry? Do you plan something or how do you deal with it? So there's two answers to that, the way I used to deal with things and the way I'm currently allowing myself to deal with things. Um, so the way I used to deal with things was I definitely had down days and I definitely got frustrated and I would get angry. I would get, like I'd shout and just have a moment, like a tantrum basically. Um, but, Start whistling. <laughs> yeah, it always helps. Um, <laughs> but like yourself, I when you've lived through something long enough, you know that you will come out of it. So if I was feeling frustrated or if the pain was getting too much, I, I know the type of pain and the various types of pain that I have that I know that I could wake up tomorrow and it'll just be gone. So for the most part, I would just try and truck on. But if it was big enough, I would allow myself a bit of time. And especially at the moment, I'm allowing myself more time to just because and I have the luxury now of because I haven't been working for nearly a month. I have more time than I've had in a long time. So if I am having a down day, not not even pain wise, but if I'm just feeling a bit scared for what's coming or I'm feeling a bit annoyed or sad or whatever I'm giving myself that time and I'm just throwing on even if it's two o'clock in the day and I need to just watch a bit of telly I'll throw on a Netflix show for an hour or something whereas I wouldn't have allowed myself to do that before because I didn't like the idea of watching telly during the day like I've always worked from home and I would have been quite strict with myself like tv doesn't go on the radio does but tv doesn't go on during the day blah blah, blah. but at the moment if I need to watch I don't know, Grey's Anatomy or whatever, I'll just put it on and not, not give out to myself for that. And that is, I have to say, it's really helping yeah. um, because we are like, we spend a lot of time looking at what others are doing through social media and feeling jealousy and feeling like we're missing out. And we spend a lot of time giving out to ourselves for not having done this, that and the other. And we don't spend a lot of time actually acknowledging what we have done or what we're going through. Um, so that's what I'm making myself learn in this moment is to be a bit nicer to myself. Um, so I that's a that brilliant I answer. I, I like that. I always say, like, you know, go easy on yourself. But to preface what you said, don't be fucking, you know, I'm easy on myself now for the last six months and I haven't went walking once. No, that's not easy on yourself. You're a lazy motherfucker. Be easy on yourself <laughs> when you need to be easy on yourself. But I always say, like, put yourself first. So this isn't good for me mentally or physically now. And it'll probably never be good for me again. Okay, I'm not doing it. End of story. Well, three people will be annoyed with you. I don't care. That's I. This is my life. Do you know what I mean? But like, I, I wouldn't be doing it nastily or anything like that. But you know, I always say, put yourself first. Very last question. Very hard for the answer. I understand. Future goals, plans. If you say Everest now, I'm going to knock you off the podcast. <laughs> Where would you see yourself this time next year? Fingers crossed. You're not. Gonna, I'm not going to say Everest, but I am going to say. Uh, and there is a story behind this. So I still to this day have the, a picture of Kilimanjaro as my screensaver on my laptop and it will not be coming off until I climb it. I went to Africa in, I think it was the end of 2018. And I actually wasn't interested in climbing Kili or Everest. Now Everest, I just 
it's too much whatever you need to be full-time athlete to, to you know attempt Everest a Kilimanjaro uh, is no vacation either like it's not it's six at least six days um and you're you're sleeping on the mountain and all of that but um it's after visiting Africa after visiting people in Tanzania and feeling their way of life and making my way to the bottom of the mountain and seeing it and more importantly seeing the people come off it so I just I went around interviewing people like there was no camera I just went around I sat with them and I was like please tell me how you feel right now because there's a little like shack at the bottom of it um, and you can buy a beer or you can buy whatever and those two girls in particular I think they were from they were either German or I think they were German and they'd literally come off the mountain and got themselves a beer and sat down and they were probably about to like go into loads of detail about how great it was and I came over and like ruined their buzz but I was so I watched them walk down and I just I kept my eyes on them and watched what they did and blah, blah, blah. And I knew, like I, I said at the start of this podcast, that feeling when you climb something of that first shower, that first beer, that first meal, it's the best of your life. And I knew that those girls were having that moment. And like I didn't go straight over to them. I gave them a few minutes and then I went over and I just asked, how do you feel right now? If you don't mind me asking and as soon as I asked they just their smiles just took over their whole faces you could they didn't even need to speak it was their body language spoke volumes and I was in that moment that I knew I was coming back I was I'm doing Killy um it was nothing to do with it's the usual adventurers like path to Everest blah 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 um it was after meeting those two girls and seeing the way of life um that makes me want to do it and unfortunately we were actually scheduled to do it the following year and then so was it, no, we were scheduled to do it in early 2020, I think. And because of COVID, of course, yeah. it was put back and it's been put back three times now. Um, and in that time, obviously, then my surgery plans started happening. So I was to climb it the way I am now. But when I do eventually climb it, I'll be doing it as an amputee um, and I'll have hopefully have my prosthetic um, and it'll make it it will make it harder in a lot of ways. But I actually think it'll make it easier, too. So that's my number one goal. My immediate goal after surgery is to get back on my feet as quickly as possible, is to not allow my family to do everything for me, especially my dad. He is the worst for wrapping me in cotton wool. Um, and I, it'll be just making myself say no and making myself figure out how to do things. That's my, my first goal because my life is about to change completely. And if I spend three months after surgery sitting on my bum, allowing other people to do everything for me, I'm not learning anything. I've wasted three months as far as I'm concerned. I have the time now, make the most of it. And even if it's painful, I'm going to have a few falls. Like any of the forums I've looked up about post-op um, after an amputation, people say, don't think about if you fall, think about when you fall, because you will. So my mom kept saying, you'll have to be so careful that you don't fall. And I was like, well, actually I am going to fall. So it's all about minimizing the damage. Um, so making my house as risk free as possible, but also not feeling that I can't leave the house. So that doesn't sound like much of a goal, <laughs> like it's not climbing a mountain, but it's probably metaphorically going to be somewhat of an yeah. uphill battle. Um, and then after that, it's I have so many things that I want to do in different countries. It's, you know, if, if it goes well, the, the bucket list is just going to be I'm going to need a bigger bucket. <laughs> bigger bucket. That's a. Uh... I'm gonna let you go now, but not, like I think you're you're incredible, honestly. It's like that could have went so many different ways down through your life, and you, like there's so many different ways of looking at it. And you, you, it's just you kind of seem to want to be always accomplishing stuff and doing stuff, you know. And 
like there, there could be someone who has a billion euros, but like they haven't got your mind or your attitude, you know, like you can't buy that. Like you, there's, there's no amount of money anyone could give anybody else to say, okay, you're going to have the drive that Nikki has. You just can't do it. Like it just, it's, it's, it's absolutely impossible. Money can't buy it. Support can't buy it. Your close friends, everyone can help, but you just can't. It's just, you either build it up over time or you crumble. And you've built up and it's absolutely fucking incredible. Like I came across your stuff, like as I always say it to myself, like, and I wouldn't say it in the podcast too often, like I've been shut to hell and back, you know. But then I see you and I go, Wow, she she's fucking cool. Like that's like 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 I probably wouldn't have been able to do that, like, do you know what I mean? Even after what I went through, I think I'd never be able to do that. But then rather than shrink like a file, I'd say, Go, oh, what's she at now? Like, let's find her on YouTube again. What mountain I'd say, Oh yeah, that's cool, that's cool, and kind of get inspired by it if you like, you know. Um, also, like, what's you know, you say like I couldn't do that, but like you also you probably could. That's the thing. And there's so many things that, especially from a physical point of view, I used to think I can't do that. One of the things was ice skating. I just assumed that I can't do that anymore. Mm. But and like a big one of my bigger challenges was going to Iceland um to scale a glacier. Um, and I assumed that that whole side of things, anything to do with like slipping and sliding and all that, I just couldn't do. And I realized that that was, that was me that said that I assumed, and you know what you, what happens when you assume? Yeah, um, I do. <laughs> like once I, I reached out to the people that make my crutches within an over and back of about two emails, I had a shipment of um, crutch attachments being sent to me that had like ice picks built into the bottom of them. So I was able to actually walk on ice with no problems. The problem initially was all in my head and I just assumed mm. I couldn't do it, but actually it would just come down to equipment. I didn't even need a huge amount of training for that particular challenge because all we had to do was walk for a long time. But like, but you, you know, skied as you skied essentially with crutches as well. Well, no, I haven't. I haven't skied yet. Um, I really oh, want yeah. to try skiing. I haven't done that yet, but that's again, that's my God. Thing. Yeah. Um, but no, the, the glacier was just walking on in heavy snow and walking on ice. Um, but like when people say, and I've, I've done this myself numerous times when I say like, oh no, I can't do that. They've say like, I see Paralympians and Ellen Keane, who's absolutely just doing so many amazing things for the, the world of disability in Ireland. Um, like she, yes, she's missing part of her arm, but she's a damn good swimmer. And that's why she is where she is. <clears throat> and that takes daily hard work and I could sit back and say I'll never be as good as her or I could just join my local gym and start swimming and see what happens um yeah. and not put too much stress on myself like day one getting into a pool going if I'm not like Ellen Keane by Christmas I'm not doing anything you're obviously setting yourself up for failure but if you just jump in yeah and see and maybe see get happens, a little bit then, better every day and see where it takes yeah, you exactly. yeah, don't always let I can't do it to be your first thing in your mind no one yeah. knows what anybody can do until you fucking try exactly you know. you know like um you might decide you hate swimming and you never want to get into the pool again but until yeah. you jump in you won't know so at least you've tried look exactly. on that note i'm going to let you go i'm going to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast i probably kept you way longer than you had time to spare but i, I really, really, really do it, appreciate honestly. it thank you for having me all right cheers guys all the best bye bye <laughs>